Christians. Uh, as we go into uh, continue our season in Lent, uh, which literally means springtime, meaning we're going into a new season. Uh, and so this series for the last few weeks and, and a couple more to, to come, we're talking about the different seasons and how we navigate seasons in our lives. Uh, and many of us, we go through seasons, just like the four seasons here in, in Washington. We have the highs and lows, the good and the bad, and everything in between. And, and as you walked into this sanctuary, we are, many of us are in different seasons of our lives. Uh, and so this morning in John chapter 16, uh, we, we hear uh, and we read the words of Jesus when he talks to his disciples about grief and loss and anxiety in a sense of mourning because Jesus will leave them and promise to return. But there's a sense of grief at that sense of loss. And so as we continue or before we continue, a few things I just wanted to bring to your attention. On April 14th, which is next, next week? Yeah, okay. Uh, we have a small crowd today, so you can be interactive if you'd like to. Uh, April 14th, we have, it'll be Palm Sunday, uh, and we have baptisms. So if you've ever considered being baptized, please come talk to me, or even on your Connect card as you walked in and received a Connect card, just write baptism on there, and we'll follow up with you. Uh, because let me just share a little bit of my, my heart. This isn't the sermon, but... So far, we haven't had anybody sign up for that. Last, last year, we had several. Uh, this year, we haven't had any. And so, and so part of me, and I'll just be honest with you, with the pastor's heart, uh, is, is very thankful that many of you that have professed your faith in Jesus uh, would be obedient and faithful in, in the act of baptism. Now, there's nothing sacred necessarily about being dunked, uh, but it is a symbol and a reflection and a proclamation of our new life in Christ from death to resurrection. Uh, so I'm excited and I'm glad that that's a thing, that people are doing that, have done that. And, and, I, and it was a quick gut check for me as a pastor to say, like, are we, are we living into our vision of, of this cycle of discipleship? That are, are people coming that haven't heard about Jesus, that are first proclaiming the name of Jesus? The answer is probably yes, uh, but, but I, don't, I don't know. I, I hope that we can all wrestle and navigate through that question as a church. Uh, are we becoming a place for the hopeless, or are we a, a place, are we a club? Because we're not a social club. I, 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 anyway, that's a whole different sermon. All right, uh, so baptisms next week. Uh, and again, the exciting news that on Easter Sunday, we'll have two services, 8 a.m. and 9.30 a.m., uh, and as we continue after Easter, we'll have one service again, but at 9.30, okay? So uh, Mount Zion, our, our church that meets after us, have, have taken a huge sacrificial step uh, in, in, in joining us in our mission uh, to, to reach out to those that perhaps 9 is really early. And I know for a lot of us, 30 minutes isn't a big deal, but, but I, I tell you, 30 minutes to many uh, it is a big deal. And so my hope is that this can... This can contribute into our mission to our neighborhood, our community. Uh, and, and lastly, um, as you have noticed in the last few weeks, my and our church's dear friend Tara is up front and she's painting. And there's, this is many paintings that she's done while in service, while reflecting, while, while just listening. Uh, and uh, she's receiving donations for these. And 100% of the donations uh, will go to our friend. We've met her. We've prayed for her. Her name is Amy. She's in Lebanon right now, 
uh, teaching Syrian refugee children. And so uh, just know that you're giving in your participation in this. A, you get a, just a beautiful painting, and B, just know that uh, it goes to help these children in Lebanon that we want to serve and love even from afar. And so uh, those are our announcements. Uh, we will get to our text again. It's in uh, John chapter 16, uh, verse 1 through 7. And the word of the Lord says this, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when every, anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this uh, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled. You are filled with grief because I have said <clears throat> these things. And so Jesus and his disciples are hanging out. They're talking to one another. Uh, and Jesus saying, because you love me and the rest of the world doesn't know about me, here's what's going to happen. Not only are they going to kick you out of the synagogues, a.k.a. the community, uh, but they're going to try and kill you. In fact, they may even kill you, and when or if they kill you, they will say, you know what, I did that in the name of God. They don't get it. Bottom line, Jesus is leaving during this time, and they're filled with grief because Jesus said these things. So let's pray real quick. God, thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us with this ancient text um, that it will forever speak to us. Until we meet you. We thank you. In your name we pray. <clears throat> amen and amen. As we get into this text, uh, I, I thought about something that I always, always do in, in, in a lot of things in, in life. And maybe you can resonate, me, resonate with me in this. Uh, for example, when I go hiking, I, I tend to think that I, I love hiking. Uh, we have a lot of outdoor enthusiasts here. We have a lot of hikers, backpackers. I wouldn't say that I love it. I like it, and I do it. But there's this weird pattern that every time I go hiking, I get really, really excited about it. And, and I get so excited that I can't sleep the night before, or, or I get up to the, to the, to the base, and, and to the trailhead, and I look to the final destination, and I'm excited because I know how it feels like when you get to the top and you just see the view. You get, a lot of you guys know what I'm talking about. When you reach the top of the hike or backpacking or whatever it is that you've done, you look and you're like, man, this is so beautiful. This is so incredible. And many of us, it reflects God's beauty and reminder of his vastness and his power. Uh, we may sit down, we may have lunch, we may have a drink, whatever it is, we just love, when, we love it when we reach uh, the final destination of the hike. But, but what I do is before I get to that moment, and as much as I love hiking, so at the beginning I love hiking, at the top I love hiking, but there's something about the middle where I don't enjoy as much, okay? And so it's ironic because I'm like, I love hiking, I love getting to the top, and yet while I'm hiking, I'm complaining, I'm whining about how difficult this is. When are we going to get to the top? Uh, why did I sign up to do this this morning? I'm hungry. Why did I wake up so early? Uh, but I know that once I get to the top, my whole demeanor will change. 
And, and, and I would say, again, maybe you can resonate, but this attitude uh, goes with a lot of things in our lives. For some reason, uh, when we focus so much at the top, and here's where I'm going, when we focus so much at the final destination, the end goal, the solution, the end of the story, the more that our hearts and our eyes are focused and fixated on that final destination, the more the middle part becomes unenjoyable. There's some, I, I don't know if this is human nature. I don't know if, if it's just me. Uh, I hope some of you guys can resonate. But the more we focus on the end, the less enjoyable the middle becomes. Again, maybe it's not hiking. Maybe there's different aspects of life. When you read a book, when you watch a movie, even in your job, even in your relationships, when we want to get to the end of the movie or story, when we want to move the relationship along forward quicker than it should, when we're obsessed with our financial goal and that number in our bank account, when we're obsessed with this upward trajectory in our work, we want to get to a a particular promotion, a a financial end, a, a glorious you know, uh, purpose of meaning in your job or whatever it is, when we focus on the top, the more daunting the process and the journey to get there becomes. And, and, And so this journey that God calls us into, that we agree to, that we enter into, we become so obsessed with this final ending that this space, the bigger space, again, becomes unenjoyable and downright painful, in fact, and long and daunting because we're so distracted with not what is, but what, what, what might and what could be. And I would argue that we miss out. We miss out on what God has for us in this space before that final end of the story of whatever you might be thinking about. This is particularly true, and we see in this story, particularly true and seasons of pain and loss or, or struggle. We've all experienced this. We want to just get through it. We want to find the solution. We want to be healed. We want the answers. We want to move from point A to point B, and we want to move now, today. But again, the problem is the more we become fixated on getting to the end, even in our seasons of pain and loss and confusion, the longer the process feels and the more daunting the journey we experience and hopelessness and anxiety starts to seep in. And I love this story of the disciples because we've all been there. We've all experienced what the disciples have experienced, especially the news uh, of when we feel like Jesus is gone or missing and we feel alone or isolated, we can't help but to be filled with grief. Again, because of what Jesus has said. So a little bit about this context in John chapter 16 is this. John chapter 13 all the way to John 17 is considered the farewell discourse. It's the farewell discourse. These were his last interactions and teachings. Some people would consider them perhaps sermons, his last sermon. But whatever it is, it's his last interactions with his disciples before his crucifixion. In this last discourse or conversation, he says something very alarming, in fact. Uh, He says, 
guess what? Because you love me and because you believe in me, uh, they're going to want to kick you out of the synagogue, essentially kick you out of the community. You're going to be uh, 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 marginalized. You're going to be, like, you are going to be completely on the outskirts. Not only that, they're going to try and kill you. And, and after they try and kill you, they're going to think it's a good thing. This is a very interesting way for Jesus to have his last discourse. And, and of course, the people hearing this, uh, they're confused. They don't know what to do because the worst part of it is Jesus says, uh, in the midst of all of this, I'm going to leave you. Like, that's kind of adding insult to injury. In the midst of all your hardships, in the midst of them trying to kill, take your life and kick you out of community and push you out of society, in the midst of all of that, I'm actually going to leave you. This is their Messiah, their Savior, their rabbi, someone who they've all committed their entire lives to, someone they've committed actual lives to, that they're willing to literally die for the cause of Jesus. <clears throat> and again, after Jesus says this and says that I will leave, it says they were filled with grief in the most difficult times of their life. They're filled with grief because a rabbi is going to lose, is going to leave them. <coughs> Excuse me. And in verse twenty, it says, "Verily, truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices." So later on, as, as Jesus is continuing to talk, he says, "Not only will you grieve, but the way that you will grieve is this: you will weep and you will and you will mourn while the rest of the world is happy." And this word weep uh, is this Greek word, klio. And it literally means to wail slash to grieve audibly. And this is a very ancient Near Eastern way of grieving. Uh, it's not just crying, not holding it in, but to actually uh, just wail, to, to, to cry uh, out loud so people can hear, so you can be, feel so connected with God in your desperation of need and darkness. Uh, for those of you that have ever been to Israel, uh, one of my most memorable moments in Israel is going to the Western Wall. It's the wall uh, that's, uh, that was part built in the ancient days in the first century that went around the temple. And, and when it was destroyed in 70 AD, uh, the thing that lasts, the only thing that lasted, uh, there was a temple mount, uh, and, and then there's this wall. And... Historically, it's called the Western Wall, or some might refer it to as the Wailing Wall. And when I went there, I can just see a lot of these dedicated Jews going to the wall, and they would just shake their heads, and they would pray out loud, many of them just crying out loud uh, together, collectively, and then they would just go about their day. And there's something about that tradition uh, that really reflects where our hearts are at, that, that they were just desperate and, and they were just longing to be reconnected with God, their Savior, that they would wail out loud, that they would uh, audibly grieve. And, and, and I would argue that we are the disciples. We've wept like this audibly. We've all been in this season of grief, of mourning, of weeping. Because we've all experienced this kind of loss. Maybe it's a loss of a job. 
You know, you felt like your future was settled. You knew where you were going to be tomorrow, the next day, five years from now, and all of a sudden there's a loss. Maybe there's a loss of a loved one in your life, and many of us have experienced this incredible pain when we lose somebody in our lives. We all enter into this club that we never asked to be in. Maybe it's a loss of a relationship. Maybe it's a loss of health. Whatever it is, we've all experienced this kind of loss that results in pain, in grief, in mourning. And in this severely divided world, it's sad to me that the one thing we all have in common are tears. Tears are a universal pain that we all experience, and it it tends to be the common thread between every human being. Remember when I spoke at this one service, one of the illustrations I gave was the pain and the grief that I felt when I lost my grandmother. Many of you guys have heard this story. I say this all the time. I share this story a lot because it's such a prominent time in my life, in my family's life, when we lost our grandmother. Uh, especially in the, in the Asian and the Korean culture, the grandmother lives with the family and, it, and she becomes like the second mother. And that's what my grandmother was to me and my sister. <clears throat> and I remember sharing that story of how much grief and loss I experienced in my whole family. And after that service, there was a man that I've never met before uh, in a completely different walk of life, comes up to me and says, Prentice, this is my name, and I just recently lost a loved one, too. And, and though uh, two seconds before that, we were complete strangers, but after we share that experience of loss and grief and pain, instantly we become brothers. We become best friends. And, and we prayed together that, that, after, that evening, and then we actually met several times Uh, after that because we have been initiated into this club that we never asked to be in. But what that pointed out to me is that we're all, all of us have experienced what these disciples have experienced. And and not only that, it's that very thing that brings all of humanity together because of this commonality of loss. We've all experienced it. And the worst part of all of this is Jesus' response, because he gives them this alarming message saying, you're going to die, perhaps, and many of them actually do die due to the cause of Christ. They're going to kick you out of society, of community. A lot of people have left during this time, the desert, the Qumran people. And Jesus says, I'm going to leave you, And then these people are confused, like, what is happening? They're filled with grief. And Jesus' explanation to all of that is this. Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Like, that is the the, the crux of of all of John chapter 16, when Jesus gives them the bad news Uh, Not only that they might die and they're going to be kicked out of society in the synagogues, that Jesus is leaving. And in the midst of their grief, the time they need Jesus the most, the response that Jesus gives is, hey, in a while, don't worry, hey, in a while, you will see me no more. Then after a little while, you will see me. That's the explanation. 
that Jesus gives to his people. That's the reply of the entire situation. The disciples are mourning, they're wailing, and Jesus' words of comfort are, in a little while, you won't see me. In a little while, you will see me. I would argue the, the, the response, the explanation that Jesus gives, the, his quote-unquote words of comfort, couldn't be any worse. And we can all identify. There's no clarity. There's no answer. There's no blueprint plan on how to get from point A to point B. There's no plan of sadness to joy, from uncertainty to peace, from brokenness to wholeness. There's just simply no answers offered by Jesus. And I would argue, and again, many of us have experienced this, the lower the level of answers that we have, the higher the level of anxiety Right, the lower level of, answer, uh, of answers and uncertainty and, and, and no clarity raises the element of anxiety. It's almost like a tipping point. If one raises, one goes lower. If one goes lower, one goes higher. And, and at this moment, I'm reading, maybe I'm reading a little bit too much of my own self into the disciples, where Jesus' response in a time uh, of sorrow and grief and hardship is, hey, in a while... I'll be gone. In a while, I'll, I'll come back. Like, there's no answers whatsoever except for that. And I can imagine the level of anxiety that these disciples may have felt. Because there's a, human, there's a humanness in us and a human condition that we're obsessed, all of us. We're obsessed with the end of the story. If we don't have the end of the story of whatever we're going through, then anxiety is through the roof. And many would say that we want the end of the story so bad that we would even make up a bad end of the story because having a bad ending of a story is still better than having no ending at all. And many of us have done this. We call it catastrophizing. We catastrophize things because we don't know the ending, so we make up an ending. Uh, and one thing that I do, I, I do this a lot actually, but one way that manifests in my life are, are emails. I don't know if it's all pastors or if it's just me, and, and I'm not saying I get this all the time, uh, but sometimes I'll get emails or even texts saying, Prince, we need to talk. Can we talk? Like, uh, yeah. Or, or, you know, like, hey, there's a couple things I want to talk to you about. Hey, about your sermon, I would love to talk to you about it. And, and immediately, and, and I know majority of the time, it isn't as bad as I think. It's not what I'm imagining. Because I'm like, what, well, what's it about? What did I say? Oh, I know what I said. And I go through an inventory of all the bad things that I may have said or the wrong things I might have said or done. And I begin catastrophizing because I'm left in this sense of, uh, of unclarity, uh, of not knowing what this conversation is about or what kind of bone this person has to pick with me. Like, I don't know. And because I don't know the end of that story, uh, I'm sitting here and I'm making up my own ending because, again, like many of us, a bad ending is still better than no ending at all. And we do this with so many different things in our lives. And there's no wonder that the level of anxiety and depression uh, have just skyrocketed, skyrocketed in the last several years. One study from the um, National Institute of Mental Illness says that 31% of adults in the United States experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. 31%, and this is a rough estimation 
because these are the people that have reported. And I just want to say, in a world where anxiety and depression and mental illness is so prevalent that if this is you or someone you know or love, like, don't be afraid to find help. <clears throat> yes, as a pastor, I do believe that God heals, God gives, God directs. But I think sometimes God directs us to a professional, to a therapist, to medication, to, to whatever you might need. Uh, but my point, the short point here is saying let's not stigmatize mental illness because that just perpetuates us being hidden in ourselves. Because we live in a time where Mental illness, depression, anxiety is such on the rise, and maybe it always has been, and now it's being able to be named and identified. And I just want to say, let's, let's remove, especially in the Christian subculture, let's remove any stigma around getting help. I know that I do it, and I've benefited from it, and I know that many of you, if you wrestle with this, you will too. Because of what I believe is that our society makes it so much worse because of our need for instant gratification. Instant gratification is no longer a luxury, right? It's no longer a luxury, but it's a way of life. It's a way of life so much so that we've, been, we've become entitled, or we believe we become entitled to instant gratification. You know, and, and I fall to this. this is, I do this. There's movies and music on demand. Uh, if you want to purchase something from a store or, or food, it's, it's right there. It comes to your house. You don't have to get up. You don't have to change. It's like it comes to your door. If you're looking for a significant other or a romantic relationship, you can just swipe on an app. You can go online. You can do whatever it is. And, and I would say none of these are inherently wrong. None, none of these are wrong. As a matter of fact, I'm really thankful for a lot of these. But oftentimes it programs a message in our head saying that we need and we are entitled to the instant gratification. And I would say the more and more we think about this instant gratification to this end product. You know, like, I want food. Well, good, then I'm just going to get food. If I'm hungry, if I want a you know, relationship, if I want to do this, here's my final goal, and all I have to do is this, and I can get from point A to point B, and, and it's just that easy. And, and in our lives, we do the same thing, uh, just like the disciples, in our sense of anxiety because something is wrong, because we're experiencing a loss, because we're experiencing mourning and grief uh, from whatever it is. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a life circumstance. We just want to get from point A to point B because we're used to that because all we got to do is go on our phone and click a button and we're there but I would argue just like the mountaintop and the hiking the more that we focus on just getting to point B everything in the middle becomes so daunting and it feels so long and it feels so so much more painful ironically because we're so fixated at the end of the story rather than asking what God has for us in the middle what are we learning? How are we growing? What is God saying to us? Because I promise you, this is not just a platitude, that God is teaching us something, and oftentimes we just miss it. We completely miss it because our hearts and our attention is so fixated on the end that the middle just becomes a blur, and we miss out on what God might have to say. See, what if life isn't about taking it well, what if life isn't about that one step to gratification, to solution? What if life isn't just about that one step to the final ending? 
to the happily ever after. But I look at this text, and what if life is not about that one big step, but rather it's about small steps, taking small steps, acknowledging these tiny steps that God has for us, that we experience, and it ends up being kind of a cycle, a rhythm in our lives. You know, when I, oh man, I told myself I was not going to talk about CrossFit. But okay, I have to because this is such a great illustration for myself. Oftentimes in these CrossFit workouts, in, in any workout, let's not even just say CrossFit. But I will say, I'll give an give example of this. It's not even in my notes. I just thought about this because I think like this reflects it so well. My life is so CrossFit. I'm such a bro. Okay, so here's the deal. Oftentimes in CrossFit, there's these long workouts Okay, and this one Memorial Day, uh, oftentimes the CrossFit gyms will do a workout called Murph. Okay, it's dedicated to uh, a man who lost his life. He's a Navy SEAL uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, his name is Michael Murphy, and so it's a it's a workout that is dedicated to him. And the workout consists of this. If I can remember correctly, I know there's a lot of crossfitters in here. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you start off. Okay, this is just a start. You start off with a one-mile run. Uh, after the one-mile run, you do 100, you heard that right, 100 push-ups. No, sorry, pull-ups. 100 pull-ups, and then you do 200 push-ups. Okay, yes, you heard that, 200 push-ups. And then you do 300 air squats. And then if that didn't make it bad, then you got to finish off that workout with another mile run. And if that wasn't bad enough, you do all of that with a weight vest. Okay, so that's the workout. And I remember going into that. This is actually many, many Memorial Day weekends. Like, how am I going to do this? I'm looking at the end. Even in the first mile run, first of all, I hate running. Even in my first mile run, I'm like, oh, I can't wait till I'm running this way because that means I'm going to be done with the workout. But one of my coaches, actually, she's sitting right, right there. Sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you. One of my coaches said to me, don't think about it as <clears throat> doing 100 pull-ups and 200 push-ups and 300 air squats and mile run. Think about it this way. Think about you just have to do five reps. That's it. And then you do, after that five reps is done, you've accomplished something, then you do five more reps. After you're done, you might take a rest, you might shake it off, then you do five more. And then you just keep going and going. And when I took that advice, I applied that to all the other, you know, workouts. And that just shifted my whole attitude on doing these workouts. And not just workouts, but on the longevity of the things that we have to experience in our lives. And so what if uh, John, what John is saying through Jesus, or Jesus is saying through John, is that life isn't just about one big step from point A to point B, because there's something in the middle. And in order for us to experience that middle, just take it five reps at a time. Because if you think about just the ending, if we're just so fixated on the solution, everything in the middle is going to feel so painful and so long and just so dangerous. Like you won't even want to experience it. You'll be so checked out. You won't want to hear from God. You're going to miss out because we're so fixated on the run back. But what if life is just about taking these little steps at a time, being fully present in where God has you? Because we look at this phrase in a little while, it's this Greek word, micron. 
many of us, this probably sounds familiar to you, micron. It literally means a small space of time. A little while means a, a small space in time. Basically a fancy way of saying a little while. Uh, and it's also uh, where we get the word micro, as you can imagine. You could understand microscopic, microbiology, micronutrients. Like, this just means a small space, a little while. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples in this obscure, a little ambiguous response of, in a while, I'll be gone. In a while, I'll be back. What Jesus is saying is that the pain you feel, the pain you feel when people are pushing you aside, killing those that you know, even you perhaps, when you experience this, and when you experience me being gone in the midst of that, because I believe that the, the, the biggest pain that the disciples felt, it wasn't actually, although the killing and the hurt and the pushing out of the synagogue, that was a thing, like that definitely was painful. The most painful thing was that in the midst of that, they're going to feel alone and isolated because their Messiah is leaving them. I, I truly believe that that was the painful part. And Jesus is saying, don't worry. Trust me. Have faith because the pain you feel will only be for a short time. Will just be for a little while. Because in a little while, in a short time, I will come back. And I will bring you comfort. I will bring you peace. I will bring you wholeness. I will bring you healing. Just hang in there because it's just a short while. There's two things I believe that Jesus is saying in this. It's spiritual and it's practical. First, whatever, the spiritual, whatever you are experiencing, this is to his disciples, this is to us, this is to me. Whatever you're experiencing, loss, hurt, pain, Sorrow, grieving, maybe you have wailed just last night because of the season that you're in. Whatever it is that you're experiencing, it will be for a short time, especially compared to the eternity of complete joy and satisfaction we'll experience when Christ returns and brings heaven on earth. Now, this isn't being fixated on the end, like the very thing that I said not to do. This isn't about being fixated at the end. But it's the truth, it's the reality of us following Christ that we know that heaven awaits. And whatever we go through is all but a short time compared to eternity. And second, the practical, that the short time becomes a rhythm, again, a cycle in our lives. There will be short seasons of pain and loss and anguish, then you'll experience comfort and peace. Then you will feel uh, uh, pain, loss, and anguish again, and then you'll experience peace. It's these cycles, these microns that we go through in our lives. And what if in our lives, instead of in the midst of our hardships, our pain and our loss, that we're not just so focused on the end of the story, because that depletes the middle that silences what we can hear from God. Instead, we say, you know what? What is it about today? What is it that I can do right now? What is it in the present that I can do, not only do, but to hear and to learn? In what ways can I grow? Because it's out of that that brings joy and completeness as we head towards perhaps the final, the, the end of the story of whatever 
that might be. Here in this story specifically, this is an encouragement to all of us that when we do go through uncertainty and confusion, loss and pain, let's not be so fixated at the end of the story because we miss out on what the middle might hold. Jesus gives this example uh, in verse 21. It says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. I've never been pregnant before. I've never been in labor. Uh, but from what I hear, it can be a painful process. And what Jesus is saying is this isn't a, a science book on how to deliver, how to be in labor, but it's this metaphor that just like having a child, that oftentimes there can be a season or a, or a stint of pain. Maybe it's a few hours, maybe it's a few days, like I don't know, maybe it's a long time. But yet at the end of that short season, that micron, comes joy out of what you experienced because we fully experienced this. In this case, labor, this delivery process, that life was birth. Let's not miss out on this because out, out of, of pain, out of loss, out of grief like the disciples, that is what gives birth to joy. That is what gives birth to joy. But we have to acknowledge where we're at and be present with where we're at where we're in right now and take it one step at a time. And I don't know what that next step is for you. Uh, I don't even know how to be practical about it. Maybe the next step is a phone call. Maybe it's to forgive. Maybe it's to just come to Christ for the very first time. Maybe whatever you're working on, whatever you've done just isn't working. And, and, And I would say my life didn't just completely change. Your life won't just completely change because this moment that you give your life to Jesus, as in like your life will not just be flowers and roses and all those things, we'll all always as humans will have that commonality of hardship and pain and loss. It's a season that we'll go through, but there's something so beautiful and unique being in relationship with Christ that I invite you, that Christ invites you to enter into that relationship because something happens where we can take life one step at a time, and in those each steps, while we're being present, God prepares us, speaks to us, teaches us to receive new life of joy, of restoration. And Jesus says this, he says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your own good that I'm going away. This for your own good, that we experience this because something happens at the end of the story when we do. Because unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Just know that even when Christ goes, even when Christ, we can't feel the, the person, the physical human being of Jesus, that Jesus is within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so may we be empowered by the Spirit to take life just one step at a time. And it sounds so cliche because we hear this all the time. Like, I know life is hard. I know that you're going through this season. Just take it one step at a time. We've all heard this. But I really believe that is also a biblical principle. 
that unless we do take it one step at a time, these microns at a time, and appreciate and know and just to hear from God and what God is teaching us, this final destination that we long for will not be as beautiful, will not be uh, a place that God wants to use. It's like when we go hiking, again, just circling back. When I get to the top of the mountain, it's beautiful up there. The scenery, the view. I look back in the path. Wow, do you guys ever do that? Like, wow, we just hiked up this many feet. Wow, it was hard. Wow, I was thirsty. Wow, I was hungry. Man, this piece of fruit or, or water tastes so good to me right now. There's something about being at the top of the mountain that you appreciate and that you love and that you're just in amazement because of the very journey that you went through. If someone offered you hypothetically, hey, you want to get to the top of the mountain? Hey, let's just get into my helicopter and we'll just drop you down. Yeah, that might be a cool experience, but do you think you'll have the same experience as if you were up there and you were to say to yourself, man, that journey was hard. Man, I fell. I got some bruises. I, I cut myself. Oh, man, I sweat. Man, that, that was hours of just hiking uphill. And yet that is what makes this top of the mountain so beautiful. So amazing. And so as I invite the worship band back up, maybe we can reflect on what is it that we are like the disciples. It says the disciples were in grief. Are you in grief? Have you wept? And, and I don't just mean just cry or to shed tears, but I really believe when Jesus says weep, clio, this wailing is AKA, have you recently ugly cried before? I know that I have. I know that I do. And I know that I will. Just know that the best thing we can do is not be so fixated on finding the solution, the healing, the other side of the story. In those very moments, can we commit to just being present and asking God, how are you teaching me? How are you preparing me to get to that end of the story? Because it's this journey of pain and grief that becomes, again, what gives birth to the beauty of the end of the story. If you watch any movie, if you read any book, it's to struggle in the middle that makes the ending so satisfying. That's because as a human being, we can relate to that. And it's really, really difficult. Because we're like, Jesus, I just want to be healed right now. Give me the final ending. Give me whatever it is you have for me. And Jesus' response is to many of us, hey, in a while, don't worry about it. Relax. In a while, you'll feel this. In a while, I'll be back. Like, what? What are you saying? And many of us are in this season of, what are you saying? And I love that. May we continue to be in this space, this little space, a short time of space to say, God, what are you saying? Because I know that Christ will answer.
take these little steps, these micron steps of being present, of being open, of being intentional, because it's that journey that makes this final ending into the story, the solution, the transformation, so much more beautiful. So may we have patience. May we have peace. May we have trust knowing that God is leading us one step at a time. Even in the scripture in chapter 16, Jesus says, you weren't ready to hear this, but now I'm telling you. May Christ lead us slowly, step by step. One of my favorite authors, Jonathan Hartgrove, he says this in the book, Wisdom of Stability, and I encourage you to all check this book out. He says, to climb ever closer to God is not to move away from our troubles and troubling neighbors, but actually closer to them. As participants in a mobile culture, our default is to move. God embraces our broken world. And I have no doubt that God can use our movement for good, but I am convinced that we lose something essential in our existence as creatures if we do not recognize our fundamental need for stability. Trees can be transplanted, often with magnificent results, but their default is to stay. God is calling us to stay. It's hard, it's painful, but stay. Because in this micro, in this short period, God is teaching us something that will prepare us for the transformation. And as I invite the ushers forward for, for communion, and I'll also help with serving this communion, come when you're ready. This table is open to, to everybody. Jesus, at that final discourse, he serves them. He washes their feet. He serves them the Eucharist, meaning thanksgiving. He says, take this bread. This is my body that was broken for you. Receive this cup. This is my blood that was shed for you. May this communion as you receive be a reminder that in the midst of all that we're going through, we can still say thank you. So when we're too focused on the end result, it's hard for us to show gratitude, thanksgiving. But when we're present and we're saying, God, I know that you're teaching me something. I'm listening. God, thank you. Jesus was about to when he was teaching us in John chapter 16, this is right before his death. And he serves the Eucharist, the Greek word Eucharisto, literally meaning thanksgiving. Jesus knows he's about to die a painful death on the cross, and yet he gives this meal of thanksgiving, of gratitude. May we, no matter where we're at in our lives, be able to say thank you, Jesus, for the cross, for his life, death, and resurrection. So I'm gonna pray, and after I pray, uh, you can just come when you're ready. We'll sing, and you can take communion as you feel led. God, thank you so much for who you are, for your life, your death, and your resurrection. We give you this time of thanksgiving by receiving of your body and blood. We thank you for that sacrifice. May we remember that, and no matter what season that we're on in, in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.